shall we? All right. We're back for another episode of The Franco Files, our dearest friends. Last time we left you, we talked about one of our favorites, Black Boots Leather Whip. We're going to jump off from there today. Before we do that, we'll do our housekeeping. As always, if you want to join our Patreon, we greatly appreciate it. We give you lots of cool shit, extra shit. We say things we're not allowed to anymore over there, so that's fun. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear old Oscar bait, <clears throat> hop on over there. <laughs> yeah, a different beast altogether, but... <laughs> yeah, different beast. And then we've, uh, on Tuesday, November 28th, a couple days from now, I guess a few days, to be grammatically correct, yeah, well, um, by the time that I finish oh, yeah, the levels of this, tomorrow. it could be today <laughs> or tomorrow. <but. laughs> um, on Tuesday, November 28th, partnering up with Ramona Slick and with Seven Films at the Music Box Theater uh, to put on a special edition of Highs and Lows, Practical Magic, and Vampiros Lesbos. And uh, before the second film, Vampiros, there will be a... Uh, Truly Burn the House Down performance from Ramona Slick um, and others. <laughs> yeah, maybe you've seen their work on X videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some very, very beyond viral, you could say. Um, different kind of viral people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joining, uh, joining the show and maybe we'll get involved as well. Come check out what they've got planned because it's going to be fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, go to Target and get some of those cheap... Uh, basketball shorts that you can easily do the elastic waistband trick (laughs) you'll need yeah this is a night for women fucking this is not a night for your your peter pushing levels that no one needs yeah we don't want to see any peeps we're here for the opposite of peeps on that night we're the sacrificial (laughs) peeps on stage yes come watch us be sacrificed to the onic gods sexually sexually sacrificed that's right it's gonna be cool and uh of course uh, as franco mania continues severin will be in house with a shit ton of stuff maybe some surprises um but yeah there's gonna be a lot of shit uh so stop by and see them and yeah, then maybe you get a chance to win some other stuff yep. maybe you get a couple of franco blu-rays to put in your your bunker Next to all your seasons of NCIS and the West Wing. Yep. After that, we will have on December 10th, we're hopping over to Wisconsin to the X-Ray Arcade and doing a special Christmas edition of the Franco Mania showing Faceless. Um, So hopefully we'll see a bunch of y'all out for that. And then on... Enjoy a nice crisp spotted cow and uh, in the same venue that uh, Cottonmouth Kings will have performed, I think, the week before. So. God damn it. I can't believe they're still, like, not only performing, but still alive. That's weird. Yeah, and they're still smoking weed, too, which is cool. Are they Are they playing with Slightly Stupid? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't check. I just, I quickly went through everything that would be around our time, and I was like, the Cottonmouth Kings? <laughs> That's sick. So yeah, mustard plug and cottonmouth kings. Yep. And if you're going to both two halves of our, that's the two halves of our childhood. Will obsessed with mustard plug, me obsessed with Beastie Boys and the Cottonmouth Kings. Yeah. In fifth grade, when I didn't know what weed was. <laughs> and then you found out, and you're like, "Wow, this movie is not, or this music is not for people who smoke weed at all." Actually. Yeah, this is like the opposite <laughs> of weed. Smoking. This is for Mountain Dew, not for marijuana. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. No, it's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good year. And we will still, for those asking, we will still be having monthly shows at the Music Box. It just will not be highs and lows for a while. Yes. We'll, and that'll be it. We'll get that announced soon as well. Well, cool. speaking of mids, yeah, let's, let's, speaking of mids, let's, uh, <laughs> first movie. You want to have some titles? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a movie that definitely feels like you've smoked a lot of mids. In fact, actually, it's more like hitting the like the the resin off of smoking mids for an entire month. This is so good to be able to get high, but yeah, it's not what you planned. <laughs> yeah. This is called El Siniestro Dr. Orloff, mm-hmm. otherwise known as the Sinister Dr. Orloff. 
Not as many good titles here. There's um, Experimentos Macabros. Okay. And then there's one, Experimentos Macabros, Dr. Orloff. <laughs> this is a, a Spanish. Well, they're, what am I? It's been a while since we've done this. <laughs> yep, you're right. You're right. Just Frank is indeed from Spain. <laughs> Right, so this is a Spanish film by a Spanish film. Uh, over 120 films in, we finally have confirmation that Jess Franco is indeed Spanish. I'd like to just point out that we're doing this right after Thanksgiving. I'm yeah. still a little slogged from the whole last couple of days. But yeah, yeah, this is a Spanish film from 1982. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is uh, for Golden Films International, where we last left you. And yes, you're right. This is indeed a sequel to the the first Dr. Orloff. And also, if you pay attention throughout all the fucking throwaway dialogue in this movie, it's also a sequel to Dr. Orloff's monster. Nope. So all the all the Orloff you know and love comes here to get you excited periodically. <laughs> yeah, periodically. <laughs> you you're missing this the whatever connected you to the sinister eyes of Dr. Orloff. I guess maybe like the production value along with like the vengeance of Dr. Babusa. That's kind of the vibe here. Um, Make it more confusing. We do also also see the return of a character we'll talk about momentarily that we last saw in the movie Exorcism. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of bumbling cops, yes. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, this uh, this movie uh, takes place um, where we have Antonio Mayans, who's playing the son of. Dr. Orloff. Uh, Howard Vernon is back to reprise his role. Um, And it is one of the greatest pleasures of this movie is just seeing Howard Vernon back in that. Even though he doesn't get much to do, it's always exciting to see Howard Vernon come back. Um, Yeah. I like his his faux hawk. Oh, it's awesome. His hair's ridiculous. It's so funny. And Mines is playing his son, who is openly and incestuously obsessed with reviving his mom so that they can finally fuck and be together. Yeah. And they do that is by him and his assistant, Malou, who is the one returning from exorcism, who's basically looks like if Andros was from Lindsay's Hitcher in the Dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Or maniac. Yeah. It's like a, that, that, yeah, it's very, you know, it's the mid eighties. Yeah. Uh, when your killer is dressed like that, dressed like uh, someone that you know, Rainer Fassbender had rough trade gay sex with. Oh, for sure. Yeah, when him and Udo were unfortunate teenagers together in Berlin, these are the kind of dudes they saw. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. In a scene, right? <laughs> yep. But yeah, so they, uh, with the help of Malou. Antonio Mayans cruises around and they pick up women they deem to be useless, a.k.a. in this world, uh, prostitutes or just slutty women, even. Sure. Yeah, I mean, this is they just... Pick up and try to revive his mom with him. Yeah, this is a remake of The Awful Dr. Orloff. Um, I think almost seen... There's a couple, like the opening first abduction with the woman being drunk in the house. Yeah, it's it's basically shot for sure. Yeah. yeah, and then him popping out of the little closet or whatever is very much like that. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that suggest that this was him attempting to just remake the awful Dr. Orloff, yeah. but without the gothic trappings um, and more of just that typical. Well, it's shot almost in the exact same places that uh, he shot uh, Black Boots Leather Whip, um, which they probably shot at the same time. Like most of oh, it. Yeah. Um, so but it's it's I don't know, like I know um thrower is pretty down on this movie. I I, I like it a lot more than he does. I like yeah. it a lot more than he does too, but I do have to agree that there is just a repetitiveness of scenarios that yeah. I think normally in Franco could suggest a sort of hypnotic charm or flair whereas this one does feel just kind of threadbare and he's just clearly has no budget but you know he's he's doing what could be 
a true sequel to those first two Orloff movies in the sense that in this one, the younger Dr. Orloff's trying to resurrect Melissa, who is his mother. And in the original awful Dr. Orloff, Howard Vernon is trying to resurrect Melissa, who was his daughter. Now, you could think that this could just be like a like a loose sequel sort of thing, but it also could suggest that maybe he married his daughter after reviving her. And now the son is obsessed with his mother sister. <laughs> it would make sense when we get to some other movies coming up here that maybe that was going on. Unfortunately, when Franco's doing so much, he leaves a lot of connecting tissue to these plots out of it in so much as that he probably thinks about it later and he just kind of like makes it and then like in the editing starts figuring out what his movie is yep. um and we won't spoil the ending but i would say the ending definitely confirms that it does feel like he could have staged that but clearly he just found something in the edit to suggest that yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I, it's funny. A lot of people on Letterbox, I took a peep, seeing that people just like this is like a zoner drone movie, man. And it's like, yeah, if you smoke resin only. Well, it's part of what's so frustrating about it. Even though I the do score like is it. not that interesting. It's well, a little plotty. Yeah, it could be like, and what a lot of those dweebs are suggesting too, which is incorrect. Uh, the sub 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 genre of murder drone, uh, which is always just repetition and killings, but with incredible music, incredible sense music that yeah. truly puts you in a hypnosis. And this movie could be that. And if it had a fucking sick score that did that, then I think I'd probably absolutely love it. Um, but instead we don't have that. And so I don't, I wouldn't actually call this movie except maybe the beginning, maybe like first until the kills start repeating, I would say it's drone-ish, but it doesn't like, there's no spell cast. So it doesn't work for that kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Um, I think just that could be explored. That's really cool. Like the, you know, the, the original Orloff telling his son that like, be careful, you're getting obsessed with killing pretending it's for science just like I did. There's really interesting shit here, but it's not really explored in a, a you know fully satisfying way. But I am glad we can see it looking gorgeous now, finally. Yeah. Then, that's nice. I just think there's certain people on Letterboxd, maybe someone who was on this show once, really selling this movie as a drone Franco movie. I bought into it and was like, oh, I should watch this again. Maybe I'm thinking of it wrong it's like no this is just some meandering you know keys the just the music which is such a bummer for jess because if we had one of his very often is the case incredible scores yeah and that's really sing because we get like jess plays a, a delightfully over-the-top gay character which is really fun we get like punk fashion a little bit for the first time in jess's world some of these punk girls and yeah. so that's pretty cool like there's so many different ingredients that feel like this soup was almost delicious but yeah as you said it's kind of at the end of the day it's a it's a pretty good soup but it's not a great soup <laughs> yeah i mean we re we do some scenarios like uh you know you have the wife of the police chief posing as a victim again like orloff but also the other remake of orloff that we talk we <laughs> talked about the jack the ripper movie <laughs> which is the or the other orloff movie so yeah, he's very much in that spot there. But hey, you know, if you can go pick up the copy from Mondo Macabre, you know, you'll you'll probably have a good time oh, with yeah. it if you've enjoyed it thus far. Yeah, if you're if you're a Franco fan, you're going to enjoy this one for sure. But you know, save it to entice you if you are not yet. Now, let's move on to the next one, which I would like to offer the same sort of uh, suggestion. If you've gotten on board so far, this movie could be quite a delight for you. If this is your first exposure to it, I don't know. You might be left wondering, like, this this is what this is? And this is a movie that I think is a risky move if you're a newcomer to Franco. Because it's like, 
not even so much that this is like a slight one. I would say this is one of his very best. Yep. I think I think this is also one of his funniest, which you don't hear talked about and often like even thrower really harps on like its bleakness, which yes, it's obviously a very yeah, but it's very funny at the same time. It's the the darkest humor ever that Franco has committed himself to. Uh, this is the House of Lost Women, also from Spain. <laughs> Believe it or not, two in a row from Spain. Believe it or not, <laughs> yeah, it was also called on video "Perversion on the Lost Island." Works. This is an accurate title, also. Yeah, here's some ad lines from the Spanish press advertisements: "Sex and sadism in that lonely house." <laughs> All sorts of sexual aberrations between a mother and her stepdaughter. True. This is the best one. Came a hunter, took two rabbits, and left a stag. What? <laughs> That's amazing. Pretty wild. Wow. Yeah, pretty wild. The advertising used to be cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really did. Um, it really so this did. Movie, this movie stars uh, Lena as Candy Coster and Antonio Mayans and uh, Carmen Carrion, who we're going to talk about twice today once in a nice manner and once in a not so nice manner mm -hmm. so yeah this is a they're a family that lives on this island off the coast of spain and they live in this house and the like a lot of, the only yeah and like a lot of these franco families they should open the windows more and get out and go into town more get off the island a few times because what has happened is they are completely breaking down. And this is the ultimate of that, like, Hot Nights of Linda Franco-ness, where it's, like, it's being used for comedy this time instead of kind of a claustrophobic, horrific bleakness. And, uh, yeah, Antonio Mayans is the father, the patriarchal figure of the house, who is a failed actor who has claimed that he has come to this island because he had sex with an underage girl that he seems to frequently forget about for a certain reason. And he talks about his glory days constantly while his daughter, one of his daughters is um, mentally divergent. Palova played by Susanna Kerr, who's fucking yeah. truly amazing in this role. Amazing. Really? Yeah, if you're excited about our December show of Freddie Got Fingered and the Idiots, then this performance really will have been in it. <laughs> the sweet spot for you. But then there's also Candy Coster, Lena, as the other daughter, who is like a lot of these daughters with their fathers, sexually repressed and wanting to fuck her dad. And uh, then you have I'm the wife. Him. <laughs> yeah, right. Then you have the wife, Carmen Carrion, named Dulcinea. Oh. Which is another reference to, um, or am I thinking of the fucking windmill shit? Let me check check my. I'm notes. pretty sure it's Don Quixote. Now that I say that, but yes, yes, it is definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, again, pulling uh, these names out of literature seemingly at random, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they they live on this island, and the stepmother abuses the daughters and the daughters have a weird relationship with each other and then a well shit i don't want to spoil it uh, a stranger comes to town yep. to town he comes to the house this island and just gets involved with the family um i i think that this is yeah the movie that i think ties makes the most of the comparison to him and early uh, Almodovar to John Waters to uh, a lot of these people. And it's a movie that certainly you're not going to see us play on the big screen at the music box, probably anytime soon. This will, go, yeah, this has got to be with the more adventurous theater, <laughs> yeah. which is a shame because it's so good. And I think like is incredibly transgressive in that way that Franco can be. Yeah. And, and it's not like the the transgression doesn't go necessarily in the same direction as like something like Lorna, which truly just like, you know, makes your stomach drop kind of transgression. But 
it does a whole different thing where the sequences, what is happening is so truly transgressive to then periodically throw in a laugh or two is nuts. And like you said, what ties it to Omadovar and Waters and that kind of thing. Um, Because, yeah, some of the some of the things these people are going through together are very straight up harrowing. Mm. <laughs> and the yeah. way, it, the way it lulls it too, though, it's just I don't know. This I feel like this is one of Jess's uh, most deliciously loud, angry movies about how fucking stupid it is to make your whole life's work to just uh, attain extreme wealth. You know, because they they own this island that they live on, so they in theory, right? It's what a lot of people shoot for. They're so rich, they bought a fucking island. Um, they have everything they could ever need. They have had everything they ever want. But, you know, everything crumbles if you shut out the rest of the world and all you care about is money. Yeah. And I guess like this starts a nice kind of um, dissection of the patriarchal male over yeah. these next couple. Well, even with uh, Sinister Dr. Orloff to some degree. Absolutely. Th- it's all because- about impotent fucks. <laughs> yeah well even she says to him the wife says to him she's like you could like all the like we lay around her all day you could just fuck me more instead you lay around masturbating all day and you know that like antonio mayans conveys such an idea of a man who just sits around beating off all day while his wife's like writhing around in the other room she's like i don't even have to look at you just claim these holes please but he's like no and then oh. when they try to fuck, poor Lena just watches them because they don't ever close the door because Lena so badly wishes she was fucking her dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've they've it, it, it's it's a very interesting sort of critique of like when kinkiness or perversion is left to go unspoken and more to just kind of happen without any acknowledgement of like what normalcy within those areas are. And I think like it's saying that these characters have never like, even though they're doing all these things, it seems to come from some unconscious place that makes them like implode like this. And all of these things come out in a really ugly, disgusting, claustrophobic way. And God damn. I mean, can we, should we talk about the ending or should we? I mean, I think we should try uh, All right. like we, should we could talk about at least like let's make it quick. Time. Let's make it quick. And you should skip hit the skip button three or four times and hop at least a minute into this. Yeah. Cause we gotta talk about that ending. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, Antonio and it also real quick like sets the, the the way this movie starts and finishes, since we're in spoiler territory, is voiceover from Lena while she's walking and it's truly like lovely and poetic and full of a lot of like really interesting uh things that her character as a teenager coming of age is exploring it's really interesting and that's the stage (laughs) so go ahead yeah so then antonio (laughs) mayans welcomes the stranger to the island best yeah a hunter and he uh oh my god this this the scene where he's like would you like some grappa and he's like, I'd love some grappa. And he's like, I don't have any grappa. We're out of grappa. <laughs> that whole scene is hilarious. Antonio Mayans showing some amazing comedic chops in this movie. Um, so the end of the movie basically what happens is this guy comes to town. And rather it being like a Teo Rama sort of thing where he seduces everyone in the house, he just seduces the stepmom, his wife. Andy, Andy takes, Andy, of course, before he does that, though, he does make sure he takes Lena's virginity because he has already, as a very, uh, very smart, intuitive person, has, I think, realized, like, wow, this mother sexually abuses uh, her daughter and her daughter sexually abuses her sister in turn. So if I fuck the daughter first, the mom's really going to want to fuck me then. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible logic. Um yeah, so yeah, he fucks the mom, and then a great scene where the dad tearfully spies himself uh, being cuckolded through the door. Watches. And, and uh, 
not even so much that the that that is the thing that does it for him what is such a delicious kicker at the end of the movie is he's like all right so this guy came in is now fucking my wife in my home it's very much like the scene in boogie nights with william h macy and he's like would you shut the door please <laughs> um yeah it's a lot like that actually because then later he decides to kill himself but the reason he kills himself is he finds out that this stranger the hunter was actually a journalist undercover, a la like female vampire or all these movies where the journalist comes to interview someone on this island or Doriana Gray, you know, shit like that. Anyway, um, turns out he was there to interview Antonio Mayans and then just found out that he was a liar about why he's there. He didn't rape a young woman. He made that story up to sound romantic, which is crazy. Yeah, to be cool. To be cool. Which says a lot about Spanish men at this time and less about uh, Franco being a flippant kind of nasty man. And uh, yeah. And so he kills himself because he finds out he's no longer interesting enough <laughs> to have a story done about him. And it's um as, as, as we go through Franco, it was amazing to get to this point and think about this bigger because I think it's pretty clear here why Franco revisits that idea of like an author visiting or someone being visited to interview someone they admire. It's amazing that when it's a woman in the Franco verse, things go very differently. But when it's a man, the man literally destroys not only his own fame the first time, but now destroys another shot at fame because he's so fucking insecure about everything that he ruins it. And it's kind of amazing that the first time Franco does that idea with a man, the man destroys it himself. Pretty good. Awesome. And Pretty we good. got a real quick Jean-Claude Carrier also did co-write this yep. with Franco originally in the 60s. Yep. Um, so that kind of makes sense, you know, with all his Boonwell stuff and everything, why it's a movie focused on the bourgeois and why Jess wanted to revisit it again. Um, and then only last thing I want to mention is the the sound design in this is very atypical for Franco hmm. because one of the final, like, uh, final uh, nails in the coffin of what he thinks about these high society type folks is that during sequences like when Lena is masturbating uh, with fruit, uh, what we hear in the background is just like sitcoms and loud radio ads instead of music. And it's really interesting that he yeah. peppers the soundscape with that. Isn't she masturbating watching Dallas? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yes, she is. She also masturbates with a lit cigarette. This is this movie fires on all the cylinders if you like when Jess really goes for it. Yeah, along with her pussy probably being on fire from sticking citrus. I can't that has to feel bad. Yeah, doesn't sound good. Doesn't look good. It's not hot. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, that's... You well, should it's both. You know, I like food tech, so... <laughs> no, you don't put citrus in a pussy, bro. That's... I mean, I would not, but, you know, Lena's, Lena's her own woman. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. And Which we'll, is why we'll... she might have taken a break for this next one. Yes, you might have had to get a, you know, probably a couple of shots from the doctor to come probably, back probably <laughs> the yeast infection. Yeah, but yeah, truly this one we couldn't I don't think we could love it anymore. Like we said, it is actually genuinely transgressive. And believe it or not, we didn't even touch like a quarter of what goes on in this movie as far as the depravity um, and even just how dense this thing is. You can keep going. There's like a heartbeat sequence on the audio track that's really powerful um there's a yeah and there's mention of margaret thatcher <laughs> yeah there's a margaret thatcher gag that makes no sense and it's amazing yeah i mean he could be commenting on like now that spain has relaxed like he's watching the rest of the world go yeah. to and certainly this was the time video cassettes were coming out so this is when his movies were landing them on the video nasties list that's <laughs> true anyway yeah. yeah who knows what he was getting up to there but it didn't take him long before he makes his next movie, a movie that always proves you got to give something a second shot sometimes. Sometimes when you watch it, when you're younger and you're like, eh, quality, eh, it was fine. You see it again, cleaned up. Oh, baby. And also, this movie, I think the enjoyment out of it you're going to get greatly depends on seeing a certain movie ahead of that. Because this is... Not even just in the Franco universe, one of those like spiritual orbiting sequels. I think this is directly a sequel to 
sexual aberrations of a housewife, a.k.a. Celia, Cecilia. And this movie is called The Inconfessible Orgies of Emmanuel. And if you've been playing along since the beginning, we talked about this one a little bit with uh, David Gregory when he came on at the top. Um, and it's it's fun because at that point, uh, John had not done the revisit yet. And I was very excited for you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you dig. Yep. No, no. I mean, this is really, uh, this is a, a really good movie, um, despite some maybe narrative stumblings, but yeah. I, I might give a little bit of bad faith credibility to some theories about that. But this is a movie that is, well, as Thrower puts it very well, when he says this is kind of like the Evil Dead 2 of yeah. sexual aberrations of a house of a lovely housewife. <laughs> yes. This movie just starts with the characters, uh, Antonio Mayans as what's his name, like Fred or something. No, I forget. Uh, Ro- uh, Andreas, yes. So he's Andreas, the same name as his character from Sexual Aberrations, and his wife, played by the same actress, uh, Muriel. Um, Montos, Montos, Um, yeah, and she's playing Emmanuel again, even though in that movie she was supposed to be Cecilia, but everyone calls her Emmanuel. It doesn't matter, don't get tender and perverse. Emmanuel is not about someone named Emmanuel either, exactly. These were all attempts from the producers to latch on to Joe D'Amato stripping that name of 1M and continuing on with the series to more success than it had probably ever had. Um, but yeah, this is a decidedly Franco's spin on Emmanuel. And you could say it's kind of a deconstruction. Yeah. How much as I hate saying that phrase, it but is it is. Yeah. It's a deconstruction of that genre. And with its main goal being a deconstruction of what we started to talk about with the last movie, which is these fucking Spanish uh, upper class men and how they act and what the, what it causes in the world right where but whereas that one is definitely about more of the interiority of emmanuel this one sort of reconfigures the events but places us brilliantly in my opinion under the um na- the uh the unreliable narration of a man the Marquise, and the name is, what's his fucking name? Marquise de Altuna. Yeah. Antonio Jaime Marleda. De los Enebros. Yeah, crazy Long name. Ass name. <laughs> yeah. Played by Antonio Robolo. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie starts with Andreas and Emmanuel on their honeymoon at the beginning. They... Are seem everything seems to be fine from the last movie. Their their marriage is, you know, it's kind of like when Nicole Kidman says to Tom Cruise at the end of Eyes Wide Shut, she's like, "We just need to fuck," yep. and that close the door on that. So yep. it seems like they did, and their sexual games are, you know, back up. Their their levels are high, you know. They're at dunk mode, like they can like, you know, really fuck now. So they're fucking in a in like a wax figure museum a wax museum that is open middle That's of the fucking day they go in and they get turned on seeing humphrey bogart and a couple of universal folks and some other wax heads and they just fuck right on the floor while all these wax figures watch them and it is one of my favorite scenes franco has ever done <laughs> yeah at one point she looks up and franco's old friend count dracula is <laughs> staring down at them and she said it's it's been a long time since I cared about the opinion of monsters. They are all very hypocritical. Yep. Which you know, had Franco loved to comment on his feelings about these creatures that he would come to make movies about and has made movies about. Considering in Succubus, he has the scene in the with the woman in the in the psychiatrist's office talking about the monster figures. So kind of another riff on that. Um, so, but things seem to be going really well. Like they've, they're fucking, but then suddenly this is where that evil dead two thing happens. They're back at a bar and suddenly she's stripping again and she's 
getting drunk and making an exhibitionist spectacle of herself, which drives the husband mad. And I think this one makes it clear it's more of a, I think he's turned on, but he's unable to wrestle with that in his head because he hasn't really like reckoned with maybe what he finds sexually attractive. So he immediately just goes to my ego has been bruised. We get that narrator, the Marquise. And now he's commenting on how he views their relationship. And that's kind of where we'll leave it. But in terms of like describing much of the plot, because like that's the game that's being played here. And it's uh, you're if you go into this movie, taking it as surface level, you would think this is Franco commenting on the mores of how a man should behave in Spain. And you must also be looking at your phone the entire time because this movie makes it pretty clear that it is making fun of this mentality. And it is like with with holding zero punches back there. It's it's not even just one of those like, oh, interesting. I didn't read it that way. No, no, no. That is clear. I mean, it's clear. It'd be in the fight. If he wrote the description, it would be in the fucking description. (laughs) If, If you don't believe us. And you have that beautiful Severin uh, Blu-ray. Just take that one scene where the the mark our narrator says, "I find nothing more disgusting than two women together." Mm-hmm. That clearly cannot be Franco. <laughs> yeah, no, this movie it, it, it it's great because it it doesn't just target like uh you know the the way these men talk about women doesn't just target the sexual violence doesn't just target. Uh, you know, how the the objectification, any of that shit also tackles the racial elements of a lot of these uh, ultra rich and very confident <laughs> Spanish men and that they are the best lovers on earth and God's gift to women. It's yep. really he's got it in his sights and it is a delight to watch. There's one thing we won't talk about that really uh, throws it off for some people. Um, I don't it doesn't as much for me as it does for thrower. Uh I don't know about how you feel, but <laughs> which what what part? The, well, the character that uh, Angel Ordialis plays, the character known as Rapist wearing sunglasses. The, oh the, yeah, that throws off a lot of throws this off for some people that I've talked to. Um, I think at most it is just underdeveloped, and they like didn't shoot the other scenes that were needed, maybe to go in between that and the next scene. That we go to, but I don't know. For me, it for me it uh it still works within the world that we're in. It could be under I'm with you, it could be underdeveloped, but I do I think there's a really I mean, you guess you could say it's flippant and uncaring and potentially cruel with the juxtaposition with Skip. If you don't want to know what happens, she gets raped again. Mm-hmm. Um, or does she? And you know, this time, though, he goes to the lengths of showing a woman after it's happened and she's like kind of groping around this town and sad and looks broken. It's horrifying. It's like really sad, upsetting. And then, boom, juxtaposed with the next scene with her sunbathing and her. Then it's presumably the next day. And she agrees to have sex with this weird marquee stranger. And. I kind of like the shocking juxtaposition of that because it does make me think of stuff like we talked about in the last one with Paul Verhoeven's L. Like, mm-hmm. I do think that that is what Franco is trying to get at um, because he's trying to directly comment on these Emmanuel movies and the idea of like unchecked, complete sexual freedom. And you're right. There might be something missing there that really could have fleshed that out, but it's also Franco. So at this point you can accept maybe. I also think he, and again, sometimes I do think it hurts him and why it's hard for some people. One of the things I'm most drawn to about him is he truly has a lot of respect for a movie going audience to fucking think through shit themselves and not have their hands held, you know? And I think that is a, a great moment of that. You know, maybe it could be more fleshed out, but if you are in the Franco verse, it's pretty clear, like you said, I think what his goal is, whether or not you think it's successful, I don't know. But I think it's really interesting. And uh, I don't know. I don't I, I think it I think it succeeds personally. I think it I think it does too. And the ending, uh, we'll talk a, skip ahead a little bit because I think the ending is so interesting. I think the ending is 
one of the more like you could blink and miss it because it reminds me of the ending of Rear Window. Oh shit! Oh, please go ahead. Sorry, that's exciting. I hadn't, I hadn't, okay. hadn't thought uh, about that. Damn. Well, we're dealing with voyeurism. Yeah. We're dealing with a couple. We're dealing with a guy who might have been interested in voyeurism and certainly has a girlfriend wife who wants him to be interested until it involves them and it takes on a whole other dimension and then suddenly voyeurism is sort of shunned upon wow <laughs> damn yeah you just blew my mind a bit that's uh that is uh yeah yeah so not too many spoilers there there's still a lot to Wow. figure out there but i don't know i found that ending really like like revelatory i was like yeah, that absolutely no absolutely you just made me like you know be going from in love with this movie to like ready to settle down with this movie <laughs> yeah. i mean it, it's it's a smart movie that comes off like kind of one of his slight sex comedies so but yeah it is not unlike what we will talk about next which is Okay, yeah, well, let's move off of the good stuff now and let's get to don't worry, it's a short stop on the road trip here because we're gonna get right back to it one movie later, yeah, and then we'll jump back off again. But <laughs> we'll take another, uh, another uh, unfortunate exit, but yeah, this is a very unfortunate one. Um, this is called Pickup Hotel or the Hotel of Love Affairs, yeah, um. <laughs> Yeah, you got Lena. It's well, it's the same as that fucking what's that other movie? It is it is exactly the same as Elephant 2. Yeah, Elephant 2. Yeah. Exact plot of a hotel where people don't know how to fuck. Lena's playing a porn star again. Um, and the name's different, but it's the same. And she shows up to fuck everybody and fix all their relationships. And oddly, just like last time, although I don't, I in my opinion. The uh, the oddly conservative aspects of Elephant 2, they're not fixed here by any means, but I do think it's more interesting. And I don't think it's as shockingly conservative as Elephant 2. Right. Because I do think that, like, though these movies have those things, I it's just hard for me to really get in my head that he's, like, trying to say that, like, love between men is like grotesque well because you have to remember too it's a very important detail and i don't know how much we've talked about it um but we should say it over and over because it is important when we're thinking through this shit one of his best friends his entire life and person who is in endless of his movies howard vernon was a out loud and proud gay man in spain in the fucking 50s like when they started to pal around which is crazy anyway because you could you know literally be jailed for that um but, you know, Franco hung out with a lot of queer people, men and women. And it's not it's not just women because it's easy to say, like, yeah, dude, love lesbians, but <laughs> didn't want dicks to touch, you know. But I don't I don't think that's the case. I don't think I'm so. At all. I think he's just not great at gay jokes. I was going <laughs> to say, think that's it. We all love gay jokes. He's not all the time on this show. So I do think it's that's just what's happening. Yeah, he's just not great at them normally. But this, the reason this one works better for me, and this is the only thing I will say that gave, that gives me pleasure watching this movie. Because even watching Lena out, live out her fantasies yet again, it's not enough in this one to get you through. But Antonio Mayans plays a very gay man in this, married to a woman who just desperately is trying to get him to be able to have sex with her. And we get what I think is a truly hysterical sequence where she's like, come on, come on. And he's like, okay, we can try. She pulls out a dildo and then starts whispering to him, I'm Humphrey Bogart. I'm Humphrey Bogart. Or no, sorry, Paul Newman, Jesus. Paul Newman, like, yeah. I'm Paul Newman. I'm Paul Newman. And he starts to close his eyes and get excited. And then, he, and then he's like, oh, Paul, Paul Newman, Paul Newman. And then she shoves a dildo up his ass while she's like making out with him, whispering Paul Newman. It's awesome. Like, that's funny. That, I think, is a very good gag. And then, you know, outside of that, not much. Lena, you know, sucks spaghetti out off someone's penis, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, there's that. Um, otherwise it's kind of a failed sex comedy yeah she does to be or not to be <laughs> yeah oh that's right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no it's 
there's there's pleasures to be had, but not enough to really make yeah. you feel like you're in bed with your old buddy Jess. But that's yeah. okay because as Ooh. we know, these years there's multiple made in a year. And 1982 was quite a fruitful year for our the twelve pervy little owl man. So twelve movies this motherfucker ran through. So. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they're not all gonna hit. So there, there's a there's a stinker, but that's okay. He gets back on that horse, and he delivers one of the weirdest. <laughs> I mean, one of these single most weird Jess movies that Will probably loves a lot more than I do, but I top 10 for me for sure. Yeah. I like it a lot. Well, let's get into it. It's mission of the living dead. We got any good alternate titles on this one? I've never looked. (laughs) Let's see. We have a, (laughs) yes, we do. (laughs) Yeah. The German DVD was the castle of horse riding corpses. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Yeah, and that's really the only good one. There's Castle of the Living Dead, but you know, the Castle of Horse Riding Corpses is quite good and probably closer to what this movie is, um, in so much as that Mansion of the Living Dead probably makes a lot of people think this is a zombie movie, a mansion full of zombies, but this is not. You could call this um seaside resort of the sometimes blind dead (laughs) because uh yeah this movie is about four women who look like they've literally jumped right out of uh linda or bloody moon or oasis of the zombies and they have gone to this seaside hotel that could be the same deserted seaside hotel from akumba sexual and they are suddenly just chilling, topless, talking about boys, you know, kissing they're each wait, other. They're all they're all topless waiters. They're all topless waiters who fuck each other but don't know that they're fucking each other. Well, they all yeah, it's it's interesting that you truly tell me when you want me to shut up about this one because I'll go too too hard. But Antonio Mayans playing the hotel manager, great role. Um, he tells them that he doesn't have two rooms next to each other as soon as they get there, even though this is a deserted place, clearly. Uh, well, there's no he, rooms available, they're all taken. Yeah, so he puts yeah. them uh, at opposite ends of the building, and the women proceed to both groups of them have sex with each other, but shit talk how stupid the others are and how gross it is that they have sex with each other. Again, Franco's ideas of uh, hypocritical hypocritical morality is cooking at pretty high temp bubbling point in this one. So, yeah, they end up at this hotel. They they uh, they run into Antonio Mayans, the very strange character who says at one point, like, we don't have any water. We don't have coffee. We only drink whiskey. He says, what is this, New York? Yeah, what is this, New York? This is a, yeah, he says, wait, it's okay. It's like, uh, what do you think this is, New York? This is a democracy. In a democracy, we drink whiskey. That's exactly <laughs> fine. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, uh, he, yeah. I'm trying to, no, I'm just, this movie is so rambly that I'm trying to get a thread together here. It's, it's like a bunch of Franco genres completely mishmashed with each other, like fused in a way that, doesn't almost make any sense except it captures the very essence of what Franco is about. Very haunted spaces, um, light, darkness, and shifting moods and tones. And you could all you could probably make the argument this is the ultimate Franco movie in many respects, because this mansion or this hotel they're at, I mean, it's one of those things where you kind of and I'm not criticizing the movie for this, but you could almost see how this could have been him. And it maybe achieves this is that this hotel seems to contain scenes from many of his movies. Uh, we don't get a lot of views into that. We get one, but that's the, that's what it feels like. Cause it does feel like suddenly these characters in this movie wander in to the, uh, like a movie, like he was shooting satanic sisters next door. Nope. <laughs> I, I think it it really does capture perfectly when you have those rare dreams 
where you know those crazy dreams every once in a while where you're like jesus christ i just saw like a hundred different people from my life uh in this weird space where everyone was somehow at all times and it really discombobulates you and sometimes it's scary but it's also usually at least sexy at some point it's usually happy at some point like truly covers everything you know Uh, and this movie gets that and the thing it gets the most and why i'm obsessed with it also one of my least favorite words in film criticism usually but it applies here is it achieves how ephemeral those dreams are because when you're having those dreams especially when you get to the good moments you desperately just want us to stay with them you're trying but they're gone as soon as you try to reach for them it's gone already and that's what this movie feels like because every time this moment comes and you get so into it, they take it away and you're on to the next one. And it really, really fucks you up. And that's the genres. You're getting the you're yeah. getting this like sex comedy. You're getting elements of 80s slasher. You're getting gothic horror. You're getting some of his bizarre comedies that are not even just the frivolously light sex comedies. Uh, you're, you're getting a lot of different things in this movie. And yes, there's the living dead. In this movie the holy the holy order the holy order um that <laughs> i would say are just the same living dead from the erotic rites of frankenstein yes yes and it, i do think it's um i mean and franco talks about it uh one of the only spanish i think the only actually the only spanish director he says is good in horror uh is amano de asario and they were actually really good friends and Franco did talk about the Blind Dead series as the only bright spot in Spanish horror at the time. Um, yeah, so I wonder why he said that. <laughs> it's all just that that nasty shit talk. It really, uh-huh. is. it really is. But I think that wrong. The first inspired him a bit, and he the was like, "That's a cool yeah. idea." He was like, "I don't want to go as far like as the fucking Knights Templar shit because you have to do like <laughs> too much background and plot to do that." He was like, "My dudes." just have an old Decalogue that they follow and they're just a holy order, kind of like the dudes in Justine, if we want to go back to there. I was going to say, it's it's closer to like the guys in Justine <laughs> and uh, Love Letters of the Portuguese Nun, yeah. <laughs> uh, but with those goofy Halloween costume Living Dead versions from Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. I think the, the cheapness of the costumes looks cool i think it achieves a really uh transcendent sort of vibe that allows the movie to not successfully fit into the horror genre which thankfully it doesn't do i think the strength of this movie is it's constantly shifting uh moods and genres uh i guess we'll have to talk about the uh the woman ava leon olivia who is the uh, what you think is a prisoner um, who's chained to a bed, and well, uh, let's just say the first instance we have that she exists is the yeah. scene where the woman meets Antonio Mayans in the middle of the hall, and they start like groping and the he weird. Goes down on her. He goes down on her, and then he says, "Oh my God, it's four o'clock. I've got to feed a sick woman. Can I meet you tomorrow?" A hilarious line that truly like makes you feel like you're in the zone of bloody moon with all those like yeah. strange non sequiturs and things that I think were very much intentional. Yes, absolutely. Um, really makes that clear in this one. Yeah. So we find out that he has to go feed a sick woman. Yeah. It turns out this is his wife who they once played a kinky game where he chained her up. And then he just never wanted the fantasy or whatever to end. So he left her chained and the fantasy, is it a fantasy? Is he just abusing this woman? Is it a little bit of both? We don't really know because over the course of getting to know this William participant or victim, it's like the movie is shifting tones. We don't really know what this person is. Yep. And she also, in direct dialogue, especially with Lena, goes back and forth herself. <laughs> Where she's like, either I'm a slave or I love this, or the only time I'm happy is when he fucks me. Like, it's, re- I don't know. It's really, it, this movie is so much headier than it needs to be and has any right to be. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely connected with a lot of that black um, uh, kind of like 
incestual it's not incestual because it's husband and wife but it definitely reminds me of like the humor in house of lost women a lot and what he's saying about the roles in like a typical uh couple or family household yeah i mean it has one of the most disgusting scenes oh or in a franco movie that will loves and i like <laughs> lose my appetite completely um so see the movie if you want to know what that scene is but i'll tell you mr john waters probably put that movie on put that scene on at parties oh for sure that's definitely it's like over. A mixtape that would be the start and the finish yeah yeah <laughs> you know, it might go on a little too long and you're like well am i gonna have to keep looking at this no but hey that i don't like just it like, again just it. like wait but just like those dreams the things you want to get away from the most are the ones you can't and that's why I think even truly outside of I'm gross, I like gross shit outside of that. I think that's why that's so smart is because you wish that was less and you wish some of the other stuff was more. But we're in we're in and, you know, we're in an, an empty landscape that doesn't have rules that follow anything logical. So you get stuck. <laughs> yeah, you do. And you definitely get stuck. Now, the last thing that you could someone consider this a spoiler and we'll end talking about Mansion of the Living Dead is something I never noticed about this movie until now. Ooh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Towards the end of this movie, we find out when Lena Candy is in the throes of the living dead, we find out from like the head of it that he believes she's the reincarnated spirit of Countess Irina. Something I would have never noticed if I hadn't been watching all these fucking movies and repeat next to one another. Nope. Made me, <laughs> which is that sh- shitty, but also kind of nice thing about Franco where there'll be these just throwaway lines and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and I had to rewind it because I was like, am I too baked? Like, I did I read that right? No, she might be the reincarnation of female vampire. The bare-breasted countess herself. Sick. Of all the drops he's done, that I don't know if there's one that's more more mind melting than that suggestion. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that one definitely caught me by surprise. So, yeah, you you could technically have a sequel to. <laughs> so we will be obviously at one of these theaters soon showing that double feature. Of oh, guess we're gonna have to. Yeah, yeah we have to. We should try Mansion of the Living Dead at a theater. Yes, yes, we will be. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do that shit in a. Let's do that shit in Portland. Fuck them up. Yeah, we like, have the most strip clubs of any state. Still, try this. <laughs> Interesting idea. We'll talk about that after. Yeah. But yes. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's let's wrap this this bitch up with that film. Earth. Absolutely rules. I think. I love. Oh it. Uh, yeah. No. Oh, I thought you were about to say this when we were about to talk about rules. Nope, don't worry. Not even me will be an asshole about this one. I've got some shit to say, but it's not going to be annoying to you for once. <laughs> Very much. Okay. This is, called, this is called La Sombra del Judoka Contra el Dr. Wong. A.K.A. The Shadow Judoka versus Dr. Wong. <laughs> Um, yes, this is one of those Bruce exploitation movies. Does not have, um, <laughs> doesn't have Bruce Lee. There's a lot of these. This has got a guy named Jose Lamas playing Bruce Lynn. Yep, not Bruce Lay, not Bruce Lowe, but Bruce Lynn played by a Spanish man. <laughs> also, his character's name is just Bruce. <laughs> yep. And this is fun. This is fun too, just timing since we're in bed with Sever now. Because they just they're touring their Bruce exploitation documentary and working on supposedly, a, I assume, an insane box set of Bruce exploitation movies. So even though this movie sucks, I am excited to see it restored so we can actually see what's going on and see how clearly offensive everything is. I hope they restore this one. Someone tells me this one may not make the cut. I think they will because they it's a golden film still. Got to got to catch them all. I guess you got to fill these box sets out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is uh yeah. So there's this, this Bruce Lynn character who's just, you know, they're kind of a little late to the, uh, the Kung Fu 
party a little bit. But it's only like five years after it's huge boom, but that's okay. Sometimes better late than never to get in there. And they also resurrect um, a character that most people do not remember, a Bela Lugosi character named Dr. Wong from the monogram film, The Mysterious Dr. Wong from 1934, which is a pretty good movie. I think The Mysterious Dr. Wong is one of those nice, um, like The Living Ghost or Ape Man, some of those early uh, Bela Lugosi films that he did for Monogram. And I think there's enough to chew on in The Mysterious Dr. Wong that it makes it a nice little post-Dracula thing. It's maybe got a little too much of those like, like, ooh, I'm the journalist and I've got my plucky gal. Along. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go after this yellow menace. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, yeah, obviously we are in the world of yellow peril. Yes, um, we are. As, yeah, as we already said, uh, Bruce Lynn is played by a Spanish man. Um, so there's that. But then, a lot of peril. <laughs> but then the most perilous of this journey we're on is a uh, as usual no surprise Jess loves to torture himself Jess Franco himself plays the titular Dr. Wong um thankfully I will say unlike some of the other movies in this realm there's no makeup at least and there's no mustache or anything those normal signifiers for a uh, yellow face but unfortunately Jess does choose to do a high-pitched uh voice that he thinks this uh, this Chinese man would have while he's monologuing about the evil Filipinos. <laughs> it's so absurd. And then he also, unfortunately, uh, squints his eyes throughout it. So it's a, definitely a bummer on that. And then, unfortunately, unlike the movie you talked about that uh, Jess is resurrecting this character from, the rest of it is also not good. So this is a tough movie to get through. I will not yeah. lie. It's kind of like when they decided to revive the Dr. Wong, mo- Mr. Wong movies and make him a good guy with Boris Karloff. And yeah. there's like a shit ton of those. I, um, I, all abysmal. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, abysmal is too strong. That abysmal is too strong. There's enough, there's a couple, I can't remember, I think it's one called Doomed to Die that I thought was kind of interesting, but it's been a while since I've watched those movies, yeah. but, you know, yeah. they're, let's just say we're in a very similar kind of like half-cooked atmosphere. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a pretty half-cooked movie, and this is why I don't even think that our buds at Severin will even bother to they might. Well, let's put bet. We'll we'll place bets live on the show right now to see if they will or will they not. I say absolutely, and if they and when they do, uh, you have to buy me two Colt 45 40 ounces. So, did you get? Did you hear something? Is this why you're? So no, I just know they're working on the Bruce Boitation shit, and you know how insanely complete and obsessive their box sets are. I cannot imagine they would leave any of them out. If it exists in any form, mm. there's just so many Bruce Lee knockoff movies that it's like, yeah. I mean the the one the, if the if the internet nerds in their sleuthing are correct, they say the box set will have more than twenty five Bruce Boitation movies in it, and that's what makes me think this will be one of them since they love Jess Franco so much, even though this movie's rough. Wow. <laughs> well, I guess I'll watch it again. And that'll probably be the last time I watch it. But the 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 one thing that gets me through this movie, and it's fun. I actually hadn't seen this one. I have seen Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell that we'll get to later. Dr. Wong's coming back, baby. Don't think and it's uh I don't know if it's any better, but it's a hell of a lot more interesting and more fun next time he comes back. Get to Uh, that, but I'd say you're right. (laughs) (laughs) But this one, and so I had not seen this. And I watched it yesterday for the first time ever. And I was shocked to see that one of my favorite, even though it's not great, but one of my favorite Taiwanese uh, Ho Cheng movies, Seven to One, is where all the fucking footage comes from for most of this movie. I love that movie. Polly Kwan is fucking amazing. Uh, if you don't know her, you would know her from quite a few King Who films. Um, yeah. She's amazing. And she is in Seven to One, which was definitely a tossed off. When, when Taiwan was also like, we got to get in on this shit. 
um, and people could shoot movies there really cheap. They shot uh, Shallon Invincibles and Seven to One back to back, and Jess took a lot of Seven to One to cobble this thing together. So that was a really fun surprise. That's well, the end of what I have nice to say. About yeah, movie. you're another movie where Jess takes, uh, a, you know, a sad reflection of the scared white masses' fear of Orientalism, and yeah. finds it with footage from another movie that's not his. That, that, truly, now, truly like a little second bit, time he's done that. Yeah, a little bit mind melting for me. Truly that. This movie made in Spain, starring a Spanish man playing a Chinese man who's mad at Japanese people and Filipino people, uh, constructed almost entirely of a Taiwanese movie. That's insane. All I'll say is jealous. <laughs> it's definitely a personal film for me. Yeah, personally, yeah. John really relates to Dr. Wong and his vision. Of pretending to be Chinese. Yeah. Pretending to be Chinese, yeah. But yeah, plot doesn't matter here. Heroin smugglers, shit goes awry. People fight. There's a lot of slow motion to pad out the runtime <laughs> as well, well. We're still talking about this? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's uh, it. That's okay. it. Next time we will be back. Next episode we'll be back. Uh, kicking off with Cries of Pleasure. I'm fucking pumped for that. And then let's oh, see. Yeah. What's yeah, one right. other we'll be getting Start. into? Let's, uh, let's say um, we got we got another spooky one. He's going back yeah. to Gothic Zone with Revenge of the House of Usher. Yeah, I'm excited. We've never talked about that, so I'm excited to hear what you think. Well, that. we're going to talk about that, not the other version that appeared on Redemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's well, two. Yeah. There are yeah, there are very different. <laughs> very different. Yeah, that one will be a meaty Patreon one. And just a reminder for all you folks listening here on the main, we do get into all the alternate cuts and some other fun Franco shit on the Patreon as well. So hop over there if you want more. Otherwise, we'll see you soon, hopefully for some screenings if you live in Chicago or if you live in Wisconsin. And soon if you live anywhere, we'll see you soon. <laughs> or drive in tomorrow. Drive in. Come see us on Tuesday, November 28th. At music box. All right. We'll catch you later.